0: Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Liebman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. From the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Oregon has one of the highest rates in the country for kindergartners with vaccine exemptions, it's 7%. Only Utah and Idaho have more parents who opt their kids out of well-established vaccines that have been used to prevent various illnesses for decades. Ryan Hassan is a pediatrician in Happy Valley. He also serves as the medical director for Boost Oregon. It's a parent group working to increase vaccinations in Oregon. He joins us now to talk about vaccine skepticism and the effects that the debate over the COVID vaccines have had. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be here. We've talked a lot over the last two years about COVID vaccines, but can you remind us first what the required vaccines for kindergartners are? Uh,
1: the required vaccines for kindergartners are the same as they've been for the last couple of decades. Um, you know, COVID is not on that list. It's uh, things like hepatitis B, haemophilus influenza B, uh, pneumococcus, MMR, varicella, uh, DTaP polio um and then as kids get older the um the D-Tap boosters
0: how serious i mean you just went through a long list of diseases but can, can you give us like the, the, the short version of how serious these are
1: so the there's i think a few things to understand about um vaccine preventable diseases generally the vaccines for which, or diseases for which we have vaccines are the ones that We've prioritized creating being able to prevent because of the significant impact they have on on kids and on our society generally. Most of the time, that's because those diseases are are potentially very dangerous and even fatal. Um, but there's some, like the rotavirus, for example. That's that's not going to kill any kid in the United States ever. Um, but we still vaccinate against it because it's incredibly uncomfortable. It represents, you know it causes a week or more of diarrhea in pretty much every single kid um and can and lead to hospitalization. And even though it's not gonna kill someone, it's gonna be very uncomfortable for the whole family. So the diseases that we vaccinate against are ones that when we do so, we can improve quality of life for kids and prevent these unnecessary illnesses. Um, but some of them can become severe. Some of them can lead to lifelong disability or, or long-term uh, immunosuppression, like the measles uh, virus can cause, um, cause it attacks your immune cells directly and it causes you to have a, a what's called immune amnesia, where you will be more susceptible to diseases you've already had in the past because your body forgets how to create immune response to them. <laughs>
0: Long before COVID, Oregon had one of the highest vaccine exemption rates in the country. What are the factors over time that have contributed to that before we get just to to recent years? Ryan Hassan, are you still there? All right. We're going to work on our connection to Ryan Hassan. Let, Let me just remind you, we have been talking with Ryan Hassan. He is a pediatrician in Happy Valley. He is also the medical director of Boost Oregon. That is a parent group working to educate parents and also to increase vaccinations in the state. We're talking because of recent numbers that we saw showing the latest uh, vaccine opt-out rates for required vaccinations, specifically for kindergartners. And in case you missed this at the beginning, Oregon now has the seventh highest rate of vaccine exemptions for kindergartners in the entire country. It's 7%. Brian on. can you hear me?
2: Yeah, sorry about that.
0: No problem. Um, so, so long before COVID, Oregon had one of the highest vaccine exemption rates in the country. What are the factors that contributed to that?
2: Um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot. And uh, it's, it's an area where there's, you know, there's a lot of research, but there, I don't think there's enough. Um, but from what I've seen, from the research I've looked at and from my work in my clinic and through Boost, um, the, there's a lot of earned distrust. Um, in in the institutions um, that are behind or adjacent to vaccines. So, you know, a lot of mistrust of, of government, um, caused by failures of government in the past and today, uh, mistrust of the pharmaceutical industries, who are very well known to be, you know, corporate-driven entities or um, uh, profit-driven entities that are, you know, the bottom line is the bottom line for them. Uh, and a mistrust in healthcare, which is also a field fraught with, um, with abuse of, of people with uh, you know sought to care for, um, particularly marginalized communities who have um, you know had to uh, have not been well, as well represented or been more susceptible to or likely to be targeted by abuse practices by these industries. So I think that plays a large role. Um, and then the other um, the other thing that I think that I see a lot of is just active vaccine disinformation. Um, anti-vaccine profiteering is a very lucrative industry, uh, and there are people who make a, quite a lot of money um, from selling the idea that vaccines are harmful and there are um, alternatives uh, to to help people avoid disease that are safe. Um, and this is an industry that is is um, you know adjacent to it and then kind of works alongside with alternative medicine. Not to say that alternative medicine is bad, but it's an area of of our industry that is not re- uh, as tightly regulated. Um, so there's more room for people to sell things that are you know, not very well studied or that have been proven to not be helpful. Um, and I think the third thing that is important is, is just human cognitive bias. The fact that uh, as humans, we are not good at making logical decisions. And this is true of all of us, not just people who are, um, you know, hesitant or worried about vaccines. Um, and unfortunately, we don't really have a great education system that teaches us how to think critically and challenge our own ideas and to accept the fact that if we don't think critically and look for information that contradicts our ideas, we are automatically going to be wrong about a lot of things that we think and do on a daily basis.
0: You know, but hearing that list you just outlined, it strikes me that none of those are specific to Oregon. Those are You're talking about national realities mm-hmm. or trends or, or that, you know, if it's, for example, as you called it, the earned mistrust of government or pharmaceutical companies or healthcare, th- that is a nationwide phenomenon. If we just look at at some of our neighbors that we're similar to in some ways, I'm thinking about California in particular. They're they're three, t- they're ten times Oregon size, but in a lot of ways we 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 have a lot in common. Their exemption rate for kindergartners is zero point two percent compared to Oregon's seven percent. How do you yeah. explain that?
2: Well, that's, that's an easy one, and that's a really good uh, uh, example you brought up. Uh, that is because California, after they had a measles outbreak a few years ago, similar to the ones we've been having, uh, rather than do essentially nothing with legislation, which is what we've done, uh, California removed uh, non-medical exemptions. Um, from their list of reasons why people could choose to not vaccinate. Um, so it was a simple policy change. People in California must be vaccinated to attend school, uh, to attend public school, unless they have a actual medical contraindication from getting one. In Oregon, that's not a requirement, so we're going to have a lot more kiddos who just go to school. Um, so I think that is um, very telling in the sense that at the end of the day, uh, parents want their kids to be getting a decent education, And they're not going to let, you know, fears about vaccines get in the way of that in in almost all cases. Um, So I think that's probably the the single reason why, especially with California, there's that huge discrepancy.
0: Did that lead to an increase in homeschooling in California? I mean, because there is a way for some people who choose to to, to educate their kids uh, w- without doing required vaccinations. I'm just wondering if if that also helps explain that that much lower rate that that some that an in- increased number of parents were just saying, then we will opt out of public school.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think that's very likely. I I don't know for sure. Um, I can say with pretty high confidence that. Um, there's a higher proportion of children vaccinated, not just, you know, not, it's not just that children are not going to public school anymore. Um, but I think it's very likely there are some kiddos whose parents took them out of public school and find, found alternatives um, because of that. Um, but I, um, a lot, especially from my own experience, I can say that a lot of parents uh, will get vaccines if it, if it is required by the school. And I have parents who tell me that outright. They're like, you know, I'm not sure about these vaccines, but. We're going to get them. We want to make sure our kids go to school, so we're going to get them before kindergarten, at least.
0: Can you explain how the exemption process works right now? I mean, you you just, you outlined that that it there is there are no non medical exemptions in California. Oregon does have a system, even though it, it changed about six or seven years ago. So, what does it take?
2: Well, there's. Um, there's a couple of options to get a non-medical exemption. One is you can um, get a, a signature from your from your healthcare provider um, saying, you know, we've had this discussion and this patient has chosen not to vaccinate. Um, and, you know, I, uh, and, and that's, that's essentially it. And they show that to school. The other, which I think is the most common, is that the, um, the parent can go online um, and there's, I think, an instructional video you have to watch. Um, and then you sign
1: a form saying you've watched it and then you turn
0: that into the school have you ever signed the form as a doctor saying I've talked to my patient or or my, my patients' um, you know parental guardians and and they're not going to get vaccines
2: no as a provider and in my clinic we we don't sign those um, and that's mostly partly because you know we we don't recommend not vaccinating um, and we don't recommend children go to school without vaccines because then they can you know they're increasing the risk to our other patients, um, but also and also because it's not necessary. Because and I will make sure parents know how to access everything um, that they need, including ways to get to school without vaccination. And that is, I will point them to the Oregon website. They here you go. This is how you do that. Um, but I don't sign the letters. Like so.
0: How often do you um, hear concerns from the parents of your patients about? the safety of vaccines for their kids?
2: Um, probably on a daily basis. I think um, I think it'd be hard for me to go through a day in, in my clinical practice without having at least one, usually multiple patients, um, who have expressed some concern about some vaccine, um, which, is, which is, I think, a good thing. I mean, parents should have questions about the medical intervention uh, that their children get. Um, and it makes sense that they, you know, will not be, you know, totally confident. They might have some questions or concerns about vaccines because we don't really have good public education about vaccines. There's not, um, there's not routine education about how vaccines work. I think most people don't really understand how vaccines work, and I think that's improved a little since COVID. There's more of a, uh, a sense of, you know, what happens in the body with the vaccine, but on the, at the same time, there's also a lot more disinformation about the particulars of that. Um, and a lot more, uh, more inc- uh, concerns about vaccines because of um,
0: COVID. Interesting. So you actually think that, that and I'm, we should turn to COVID now that that it has uh, affected this in almost opposite ways.
2: Yes, um, there's there's definitely I think a little bit of a split that's happened. Um, there are people um, who I, most of the people that I see um, in my clinic. Uh, or a lot of people I see in my clinic have new concerns about vaccines, children's vaccines generally because of the pandemic and concerns that came to light for them with the COVID vaccine and the way the pandemic was handled uh, and problems or perceived problems with the way the COVID vaccine was rolled out. And that has led them to be mistrustful of other vaccines. And I, I may have seen a dozen or more patients who we spoke about that exact issue just in the last month alone. Wow. Um, so, so, hand, so you
0: think that 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 the the debate over the COVID vaccine, it, it could lead to an increase in kindergarten vaccination opt outs?
2: Uh, I think it already has, at least in, in my um, in my own clinic with the patients I've worked with. There are patients I know who previously vaccinated their children completely and have now stopped or have or having new kids and decided not to. Um, I have. I have parents who tell me, you know, I actually regret uh, vaccinating my child when they were younger. And if I were to make that decision again, I would do it differently, Um, which is is a very hard conversation to have. And it's very um, it's very challenging for me because, you know, these are kids who are doing fine. They're totally healthy because, of course, vaccines don't cause any long term problems. And the fact that these parents regret this choice tells me that they're anxious about a potential problem. That hasn't happened, but that might because of this choice that they already made. And that's an anxiety they're going to have to live with until they come to a place where they're actually comfortable with the science behind vaccines and the
0: safety of vaccines. How do you navigate that as a doctor? I mean, I'm going back to that in my mind, that that phrase you used earlier, the the earned mistrust of government, of healthcare, of pharmaceutical companies, which, I I mean, embedded in that is a knowledge that that there can be reasons for, um, for reasonable people, thoughtful people to be mistrustful of these powerful organizations. Um, at the same time, we're talking about um, misinformation in the case of these safe vaccines. And you want to keep the trust of your patients and, and their families. You also want what's best for them. You, you, you can't do it all. How do you navigate that?
2: um, with a lot of difficulty in patients. Um, I'll say, I think, um, it's very, I'm very grateful. I get to work for boost Oregon and for my clinic because the two jobs really help me be better at both. Um, I learn. I get to take what I learned from patient interactions and took, take that to boost Oregon and talk about how do we have these conversations more effectively? What are ways we can do better? And then I can take what we talked about and apply it in practice. Um, it, I think one of the big things I talk to when I train other providers with having these conversations is start with accepting your limitations. You know, there's, um, you know, 50 percent of the country gets the flu vaccine each year. There, there's maybe an 80 percent vaccine, a vaccination rate, uptake rate for for the COVID vaccine. I'm not going to get those numbers to 100 percent just by talking to people. Um, there is a huge array of systemic issues um, and inequities and challenges and barriers that need to be dismantled and, and restructured for anything like that to happen. So acknowledging that what I can do is really very limited, and that is just to engage people where they're at, listen to my the, people, the, the person in front of me and listen to their experience and understand where they're coming from, and engage, you know, where are they in this journey of making a decision? Are they in a place where... They're they're ready to hear some you know a different perspective. Are they ready to you know listen to what I have to say and will that be useful to them? Um, a lot of times, people aren't ready, and you know I, I try to be uh, completely honest and open with my patients, and I make sure they all know that I recommend you know the vaccines recommended by the CDC, and that I got them for myself and I got them for my kiddo, um, and also that I respect their choice to make the decision that for their own health is their choice. I can't force that upon them and I don't want to try to do that Um, and that's where we start and from there if they say that you know yeah I guess it'd be nice to talk a little more then I'll I'll have that conversation I do try to acknowledge that you know there are good reasons to not trust the government I don't trust the government per se it's a giant multifaceted organization that is you know violating our civil liberties in many ways constantly Um, I don't trust pharmaceutical industries or any you know multi-million or multi-billion dollar industry you know their their intention is to make a profit at any cost, um, and there's not often enough regulation to make sure they're not harming people in the process. Um, and I don't trust the healthcare industry either. You know I have my own negative experiences in healthcare, um, but I do trust the people who have dedicated their lives to try to help others. People who are civil servants working in in government for low salaries. People who are you know dedicated scientists who do the research. Who try to figure out novel ways to prevent disease and keep people healthy who've dedicated their lives to this mission, who often don't get acknowledgement, um, the vaccinologists who have created vaccines, and the healthcare providers like me and, and and nurses and staff and middle-level providers who, you know, often get the the brunt of the the disrespect and the, and the aggression and, and anger of people who mistrust the systems that they're a part of. Um, and I try to Communicate that to patients is that you know it's important to separate the institutions, which are of course hugely problematic and will always be problematic to some extent, from the people working in them who are really doing their best to make sure that we are creating a better and safer world for everyone. And that's that's how I try to connect it for patients and say you know I don't necessarily trust healthcare, but I work in it and I try to make it better. And I know that there are people who work for you know these. Big pharmaceutical companies who made these vaccines not because they wanted to make money, but because they wanted to save people's lives.
0: I want to just touch briefly on on one piece of disinformation that has um, seemed had a really lasting impact. A paper linking vaccines with autism was retracted thirteen years ago. Now, to what extent is it does that idea still come up in your office? How much do parents talk about it?
2: Um. You know it's I would say it's um, it's not as common now as it was previously. Um, I don't think that's a talking point that has as much traction as it did initially, which is good because I mean, it, it has been thoroughly debunked. It's absolutely not true. I can say that with more confidence than I can make probably any other claim in uh, regarding medicine. Um, but I think the the echoes of it are still around. you know, people might not say or even think explicitly, well, this vaccine might cause autism. But I think there's, there's a general sense of, well, it could cause some problem. It could cause some issue with, with my child's development or growth in some way. And, and I think that that is something that we don't always, I don't, I, the patients like that, I think parents don't always fully contend with exactly what they think about it. There's not necessarily a logical like, um, sense of what and how something might, what might happen and how it might happen. It's more of this very vague fear of, like, I have heard and seen all of these things that make me get a sense of just feeling uncomfortable and overwhelmed and just generally uncertain and fearful. And that just is just kind of this, I call it a soup of anxiety that parents are having to swim in, and it's hard to really, you know, maybe specifically lay out your thought processes that the specific ways and reasons you might, you know, feel a certain way. And And oftentimes, if if I were to push and say, let's let's boil this down, let's let's talk about how do you think this might actually negatively hurt your child? They won't necessarily have a good answer, and I've and I've done that before. I don't really know. I'm just I'm just scared. I just don't know. And I've read things, and I'm not I'm I'm just worried about it. And that's what makes it hard because anti-vaccine propaganda speaks to people's feelings, speaks to their fear, and capitalizes on it. And and at the end of the day, humans are emotional beings. We try to think of ourselves as rational and intelligent and logical. Uh, But none of us make decisions logically. We think emotionally, and then we try to create, sometimes, a logical reason after the fact. Um, And I think being aware of that is a helpful first step to understanding that it is natural and okay to have fears about things we're not entirely uh, knowledgeable about. Uh, But it's important to meet those fears head on.
0: Ryan Hassan, thanks very much. Thank you for having me. Ryan Hassan is a pediatrician in Happy Valley and the medical director of Boost Oregon. It's a parent group working to increase vaccinations in the state. So much of what we talk about on this show has to do with what's happening right now. But there's a lot of history behind these conversations. OPB's Salmon Wars podcast will give you insights into some of that history. It tells the story of one Yakima Nation family that's been fighting for salmon in the Columbia River across generations. Find Salmon Wars wherever you listen to podcasts.